0: Good afternoon, everyone. Could I have your attention, please? We're gonna get started. Hello. I'm delighted to welcome everyone back. I'm Emily Akterzandi, Managing Director of Atlantic Live, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to this spa- smaller, special conversation after our larger convening. I'm excited to have this group and other... As we all know, a number of amazing individuals and organizations are working throughout the STEM pipeline to increase the success of girls and young women. And many focus their efforts on a particular developmental or educational stage, be it early childhood, college, or early career and yet the pipeline loses many girls and young women every year and the reasons are varied and complex. But as many young women drop out of STEM at a number of crucial stages in their development, many never reach the workforce. So we're here today with this group of thought leaders um, to do a deeper dive into how those various stakeholders can work together to more effectively support girls and young women at every stage. And we have an extraordinary group, some of our panelists joining us from the earlier program. No doubt each of you here and again in our audience have compelling stories to share. And our goal today is really to hear as many perspectives as possible. We wanna listen closely to one another and ultimately have a rich and productive conversation. First, I wanna take a moment our underwriter, Dell. And I'm delighted that again we have Chief Customer Officer Karen Quintos who's joining us. And Karen will make a few framing remarks in just a moment. Um, also, Steve Clemens is here with us to my left. <laughs> Steve is going to play our Phil Donahue role today. And uh, Steve is Atlantic Lives editor-at-large. You probably recognize him from his frequent MSNBC. He's on... Um, and uh, he is... conversations. Um, before we dive in, a few housekeeping notes. I think everyone will notice that we are having this session taped. Um, This is going to be an on-the-record conversation. Um, We also have someone from Dell's creative team who is going to be articulating the conversation um, and sort of drawing out the artistry of everything that's going on right behind us. So this should be a really interesting Uh, way... Stacy is with us, how we foster stronger collaboration and we're gonna sort of bring this conversation to life through art. Um, and I think we're gonna wrap up around 12.45. Um, before we dive in and Karen makes some remarks, um, I want everyone here at the front to very quickly introduce themselves.
1: Wait, 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 wait. Um, Yes, you can, uh, everybody can introduce themselves, but as you do it real quickly, uh, I want you to tell me a institution a person, not by name, unless you want to, or something that you see as a villain or an impediment to succeeding in this, okay? It'll help me remember all of you.
0: Great. So with that, but we want to make this brief so we have enough time for the conversation. Think of it as professional haiku plus that. Um, I would like to start here to my right.
2: Suzanne Harper, uh, Senior Director of National STEM Strategy at Girl Scouts of the USA. I am a Girl Scout. I do not see villains. I see future partners.
3: Hi. I'm A Abigail- warm
1: and fuzzy type.
3: <laughs> yes. I'm Abigail Lewis. I'm the Vice President for Leadership Programs and Campus Initiatives at the American Association of University Women, um, besides Steve, just joking, um, <laughs> but I would say the, the media in terms of stereotypes that still kind of keep girls from thinking that they can't be in STEM careers.
1: Good, good one.
4: I'm Eric Klopfer uh, from MIT, father of um, Maya from earlier. Um, I, I guess I would say a, a villain might be uh, narrow-mindedness.
5: Mm.
6: Hi, I'm Andy Kirabudas, Chief Information Digital Officer at National Grid and formerly at Dell, which I'm very proud of to always see sponsoring mm. here. Um, I see Dell as an advocate uh, in helping propel forward in Wayne State University, my alma mater in Detroit, Michigan where I graduated in computer science and they are colorblind, they are genderblind, they are just promoting education and really driving forward and I've never forgotten that.
7: Hello, I'm Cheryl Poro with salesforce.org and there I am Senior Vice President of Technology and Product Delivery. And I would say, you know, in my early days graduating as a chemical engineer, becoming a software engineer, the villain in my story could often be myself. Mm. Uh, but I've done a great mm. job of um, of getting rid of those demons.
1: Interesting.
8: Um, I'm Lena. I'm a graduate student at MIT. Uh, I was I also led the biotech group at um, Harvard and was one of the only women in that group. Um, I guess the villain for me along the way has been people who thought that this conversation is
1: over.
5: Right. Thank you. Um, my name is Alec Resnick. I'm with Powderhouse Studios. Um, I guess I already named two men in schools, but I'll add a third, uh, which is Um, Just the idea of meritocracy. Joan Reed, Harvard Medical
9: School. Uh, So if I had to name a villain, I would say uh, bias, unconscious and conscious.
10: Ah, Joan stole my answer. Mine too. (laughs) (laughs) And down the road. I'm Karen Kintos. I'm Dell's chief customer officer.
1: And do you know me I'm Steve Clemens with the Atlantic. My villain I, actually is, is close to, to Joan, that, that in every you know, I grew up as an Air Force dependent in, in the military, and, uh, and this would have been in the 1960s, and I was appalled at the low expectations of women and people of color and others I mean it was an institution so important in the United States and they sort of pride yourself on being you know a mixer and a prom you know promoter of others but actually it was a pretty bad institution for uh, people's horizons
11: I'm I'm Christine Cunningham I'm a vice president at the Museum of Science here in Boston and it gets harder as you get on the line. I'd say one that hasn't been mentioned is access. So access to opportunities, access to resources.
12: Hi there, I'm Deborah Golfarb with Intel. Um are their Senior Director of Market Intelligence and their Chief Analyst. Um, villains, uh, Prince Charming.
1: Mm. Do you know you win? <laughs> That's pretty good. Take you to come up with
13: that one. So, good afternoon, I guess, at this time. I'm Julie Duane, and I actually work for the General Electric Company. And I was going to say bias as well, but I actually want to emphasize the point that um, it's, it's in all of us. And I've been, we as a company have recently been really delving into this area, and I realize how much my own person. Uh, brings, you know, implicit bias on, on, on many different fronts.
14: Hi, my name is Katherine Newman. I'm the Senior Vice President for Academic Affairs at the University of Massachusetts System Office. And I think the enemy is the assumption that these things can't be changed or, or that it's even that difficult to change them. But we need to be systematic in this attempt to change them and show the evidence that it can be changed so that the investment of academic institutions, of corporations like those that are represented here, will be well rewarded by uptaking those new approaches.
15: Hi, I'm Shobes. I lead IT for Uber. Um, (coughs) I think we had a lot of really great answers on Willen, but something which wasn't mentioned before. Um, In my life, I think sometimes the Willen has been my loving extended family or society who wanted to protect me rather than support me in terms of failures from new experiences.
16: Hi, I'm Andrea Beatty and I'm the author of Rosie Revere Engineer and Ada Twist Scientist. Uh, I think that- uh, I can't wait
1: till you sign my copies. I am so signing (laughs) his copies too, I am. But
16: I'm gonna use someone else's name. No, no, I'm kidding. (laughs) Oh, thank you, (laughs) thank you, I love them. I think a very fundamental villain is definitions and how we define hmm. science as, a, as information and answers and not questions. And that when we turn that around, that's going to make a massive difference. And also snidely whiplash, because that guy, what a villain.
17: <laughs> I,
1: that was my hero. <laughs>
17: Michelle Bailey, IDC, International Data Corporation here in Massachusetts. We like to say data is our middle name. Uh, I think the big villain at the moment is this notion of alternate facts. I believe that the data is the data, and we can't deny what the data is telling us, and so we should work towards solutions.
18: Good afternoon or good morning I believe. I'm Jeffrey Roy and I am so grateful that uh, along this panel I was so hopeful that no one would say that government is the villain. <laughs> I'm, I'm the uh, state representative. I work in the Massachusetts House of Representatives and if I was to suggest to you a villain I would say a villain is somebody who suggests that government is bad and government can't help. because. Uh, We uh, want to be partners with industry and people, and and, uh, as Bonnie Frank said, government is that which we choose to do together. You are the government, the government by the people, and uh, to to perpetuate this myth that government is a villain only can come from a villain.
1: I had a double take today, I know I'm not supposed to speak yet, um, but, but, but you know, I, when I was looking at Jeff's uh, bio, it has this website, http dot dot, you know, back, you know, M-A legislature, so if you think about that, I was reading it as male legislature, you know, and I said, and I had just met, you know, little bits, and I said, you know, you need a gender neutral, uh, so you work on that, okay? Thank
0: you, everyone. And I think we had one other. um, If you wanted to introduce yourself
19: here.
1: Oh, there's my Little Bits.
19: Hi. Hi, I'm Little Bits. Um, uh, My name is is Aya. Um, I'm uh, the founder and CEO of Little Bits, and I'm an engineer myself. Um, I think... Now I forgot the answer. No, oh, I remember. Um, I think the villain actually is toy companies Hmm. because I think toy companies for... Uh, The last few generations, this didn't used to be the case many decades ago, but the last few generations have been creating very crappy, very gendered uh, toys where uh, a lot of the critical thinking, the robotics, and the uh, construction uh, 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 products were made uh, for boys and girls were all about decorating and glitter and pink and uh, feathers. And I think it's time to change that. That's what we're trying to do. Thank you, everyone. Um, So, Karen, I'd love to pass to you to just
0: make some opening remarks before Steve takes over.
10: Sure. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. And I want to do a huge shout-out to the Atlantic Magazine and the events that they do. They've been a fantastic partner. They have a long-standing relationship with, with Dell and have a ton of credibility in many, many areas, including this one. I also wanted to do a huge thanks to, to all of you. You are here because you share the same passion and the same interest and the same impatience around this subject. And when we sat together, gosh, almost a year ago and said, wow, there is a lot of activity that is going on in this whole area around STEM, how do we get more women and minorities into STEM? We said, there's a lot of activity there's been some recent progress, but how does the public sector and the private sector come together and make some big bets? Leverage a lot of the great ideas and programs, because I fundamentally feel like better together, we could really move the needle. So that's really what this session is all about. I wanna give huge thanks to the, to the speakers that are, that are here also. And um, I'm really looking forward to walking away with some really interesting ideas that companies like Dell Technologies, GE, Uber, the government, um, many of you in this room can really get behind. Great, great. Steve, oh, take I'm now, it away. i you're now
1: allowed to go. Okay, great. Uh, first of all, thank you. So let me tell you what we're gonna do. We're gonna have a conversation. We have a lot of folks up here we were going to have a roundtable conversation just with these folks, but we thought we would get more done if we, you know, let people that are truly obsessed with this issue—and that's all of you—into it. Um, but we're going to have a conversation amongst ourselves, and how we're going to do this a little bit is: I want you to put me out of business. I'm not going to call on you if you don't. If you don't speak up, you lose. Okay? So, uh, but I would really like to get everyone to engage. Don't wait for me to kind of. But I think our task today um, is is not to reframe the entire debate. Let's presume we all know the game. We all. Know know what's already going on, we know that there's a set of needles that need to be moved, uh, and that uh, we begin with the presumption to some degree that whether by their own choice of wanting to, pres- you know, go out and pursue something else or be because of false expectations or perhaps of life issues, people are falling out of a, a, a word that um, my friend Abigail has shared that she's not incredibly uh, fond of, but I'm going to come back to her later to talk about, about pipeline, uh, because it may sound... Perhaps overly prescriptive, but you know kind of this broad notion that when you look at people who are transforming our society benefiting from the society uh, making a good living, living out of that that there are too few that there's not equity in that in that arena so I'd like to kind of have a more action oriented discussion to sort of look at what people think can be instituted or done as opposed to relitigating a lot of the other issues so if we can be more on that, then this will be different than what we did in the other room it'll help us get uh, get beyond first principles and get on you know build on those to kind of go another and I want to ask and I and I also know that this is personal for people it's both personal for your own lives which that makes it real and so I'm going to go to Karen again not because I want to be nice for her, she's the dead lady but I want to go because we had a drink last night and she talked about her daughter um, and so I just want to use the daughter experience as a way to kick this off for a moment it did I did you didn't are you mad that I set you no, up? No, 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 no. Okay, good. I, I, I'm, I'm so, actually, uh, my daughter is going to yeah. be
10: really happy that I'm going to be telling her story. No. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, great. Just you know, so, so, but, but, tell us, the, you know, qu- quick snapshot of what you're concerned because you you captured it uh, beautifully. And, yeah. and 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 go ahead.
10: Yeah. So I'm a mother of three, a son and two daughters. I have a daughter Carmela who is 18, and she just recently enrolled in Vanderbilt, so she's very smart, uh, smarter than her mom. I watched her through her middle school and through her high school go from wanting to be a doctor, wanting to be an astronaut, wanting to be an engineer, and in that junior, senior year, there was just something that happened that pivoted her away from it. And I actually know what it is. The other thing I should tell you is um, one of our very, very senior leaders, one of my peers at Dell, took her under his wing To put her through a day in the life of what an engineer does at Dell. And she came back super excited. It was about graphics, it was about new technology, it was about what our technology can enable in the world, sustainability, a lot of the themes that we heard here. She had a physics teacher in high school. She had a bad experience with a two day so called internship that they sent her to the most boring company. Um, and the most boring engineering job, and she came back and she said, I'm not doing engineering. This is so boring. It's not at all what you know. You, you tell me is, is happening at Dell. She's going into math, going into economics, so she's kind of staying that, in that area, but it's just really, really concerning to me that you start to see these things so many times.
1: Thank you very much. So I want to ask people to react to that, and Julie, was gonna to go to you and say, is GE culture better than Dell culture? Um, <laughs>
13: Um, I think they're at least equal if not uh, so, so the, the question at hand. Uh, look, this is what we're, we're really focusing on too within GE, which is you have to make the experience resonate with whether it's the student, the young professional, you know, and, and male, female, it, it has to connect with them. And so, you know, the more important thing is, how do you get after doing that? So when you are out in the classrooms, when you are out in the communities, when you are bringing your, um, you know, fresh uh, young talent into the, you know, into the company, how do you give them experiences that resonate with them and want them, give them that sense of purpose? And, and so I think that is, you know, part and parcel Julie, how long to, have you been at GE? Oh, long, I started right out of, elementary school. Right, yeah. I've been there. <laughs> okay. I've been there now for 30 years. So I've spent wow. my entire career. Five-year-old genius. Yes. Yes.
1: Uh, no, I asked that because I, you know, I listened to this and I'm sort of listening to these, these questions. You remember the, but I, mean, I don't even know if they exist anymore. I'm not into them, but there used to be these private downtown clubs, city club, this university club, that they were male clubs. You would go in and they were slow to take in. Uh, 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 people of color, they were slow to take in women, they were, they would often be obnoxiously bigoted towards, but that's where they did business, and I'm just sort of wondering whether that, that culture has been part of something that you penetrated early, and did you have to, over your 30 years in GE, kind of have to nudge it, move it, move it, because 30 years ago, GE is not what GE is today, I'm sure, you know, I want to comment about Dell, I mean, five years ago, Uber wasn't it is today, right, you've like changed a lot, so I, I think, I hear, you have to tell me. Um, but but I mean has it really changed dramatically? So
13: so it's it's changed dramatically but and it's changed in ways that only have fostered the ability mm-hmm. for everybody to you know to be successful right And so um, so I'd be remiss you know I, to tell you that um, that I haven't had my share of challenges but mm-hmm. I also think um, life is about challenges mm-hmm. and I think this notion of not, um, not letting you know this generation realize that they are going to have you know stumbling blocks, And right. it's about your resiliency. It's about your persistence. I love some of what the panel was saying because that's the true kind of how you grow up and you mature is you realize you can
10: break your way through those things.
1: The panelist, by the way, you know, do it, Karen. Just did she just grab the you mic what, and tell what, me that yeah, she's going to take I, over? I, I, so I, grab the mic when you want to speak. Just go ahead. Go you ahead.
10: Know, I'd like to give GE some credit. And actually one of the companies, as we were thinking through this whole... Where can we collaborate with other companies that share our passion in this area? I mean, I know Beth Comstock incredibly well. Right. She's made a big, bold statement around the hiring, the hiring of STEM, and the huge pivot that she's going to go and the company's going to go put on um, women and minorities. Right. And I, I, I thought about something like that, and I said... So what if we did something and, and aligned to that? What if we did something that supported that? You know, What could we all collectively do together to support a lot of these big, bold statements and commitments that are being made out there? And how do we make sure GE doesn't fail? Dell has the same challenge that GE has. There, and There are not enough talent out there in the area of big data, machine learning, AI, Engineering, technology, whatever it is, and it scares us, at Dell to think about um, where are we going to go get this talent? So Catherine. that's a big part of why we're having this conversation. So
14: let me add, you right. can find them in the universities. but <laughs> <laughs> But the way in which we ensure that you have a sufficient supply runs straight through the anecdote you just told Julie. It makes a huge difference to students who are in that STEM pipeline if somebody visibly successful like Julie recounts her setbacks because she's a living example of the overcoming of those setbacks. And then the interpretation of a setback is not I don't belong in this field and I should never end up at GE. It's uh-huh. oh, Julie got over a setback. Everyone can get over a setback. That is a so- social psychological scientific fact. So it's it's something we need to understand it isn't just a personal experience. It's actually something we know clinically in a sense about how people interpret the evidence that comes from a setback. Andy and so- then
1: Deb. Okay. Oh, go ahead, Deb. Go ahead. Oh, you were quicker on the draw. Okay, there you go. Just, yeah. um,
14: I, I want to react to that. Around um,
12: We talked earlier around how kids identify with each, their peer groups, if, you know, if you're a young girl and your friends are snapping out of, into something different, you feel less inclined. It's the same in business, right? So at, you know, one of the things I do a lot at Intel is help women find a voice. Okay? I mean, women are always apologizing. I mean, whether they're kids this big or they're women who how, have how, unbelievable Deb, accomplishments. how
1: open are you about Intel's upper-tier culture?
12: Um, how open am I?
1: I mean, your upper-tier culture, because I've known your upper-tier yeah. culture for um, generations, so, so, not a lot of women in that upper-tier no, culture. Look.
12: Just like, I've been in tech for over 35 years, OK? And much like you, I mean, you kind of navigate a landscape that has institutional biases right. and structures. They exist. They exist in business. They exist in academia. They exist everywhere. So you have to, this is why it all goes back to voice, OK? Whether you're in tech or non-tech, it doesn't matter. Those The feeling that a woman or a girl or a kid is worthy of, of, of expressing themselves, whether in any which way, matters from day one. It's one of the reasons why they snap out of the the quote-unquote STEM pipeline because they don't have the the natural sense of self that they can go do it. So the minute they don't see peers that look like them or someone tells Mm -hmm. them no, their experience, their sense of self, their own self-confidence isn't sufficient enough to break through that. So you broke through it because... And there are corner cases, right? You break, you know, I am, you are, you are, right? Everyone's sitting at this table. You break through it because somehow, somewhere in this little voice inside of you said, Mm. I can, right? But I cannot tell you, you asked about the senior management in Intel. There aren't a lot of women. We're a manufacturing culture. It's very male dominated culture, um, but it's changing inch by inch, like many of the tech companies. Um, some of our voices, you know, Diane Bryant recently take a, took a leave of absence. She was a tremendously vocal advocate, but there are many of us who mm. dig in and pull people forward and do f- literally back, arm combat. And it's not about negatives; it's about how do you build a voice? How do you stop saying sorry? It's
1: before I, before I jump to yeah. Andy, I mean, I know Intel works with high schools in in the Bay Area. <laughs> and you're working with high school students and there are a lot of women among those high school students mm-hmm. and I know that part of the dropout, drop off uh, mm-hmm. happens at that jump from high school to college. Absolutely. Do you do any tracking? Do you do, yeah, I mean, so, what are the things that you think you can do?
12: We're a metric company, <laughs> but I personally ran programs in the northern suburbs out of Chicago in very disadvantaged high schools. Right. And we ran these, we partnered with Project Lead the Way and Autodesk and we ran these uh, chat, real, we call them uh, next generation innovators challenge. So they had right. kids had these real world things they had to go work on. They had to build a business plan. It was incredible, and the learnings that these were kids who were using supercomputers who mm. had never even really done anything but play games on a computer. I mean, so we coached them. We had Argonne National Lab building mentorships. We did this incredible thing. What's amazing about that? Those kids, the team that won that challenge, went off to sell their patent to J&J, okay? They build as multi-purpose prosthetic device. But it's amazing when you give keep kids parameters, mentor them through it, what comes out of that. I mean, and the women in that, we have a video for it, it was extraordinary. So we track it closely, and we do hands-on kinds of engagements. And when you do that, and you pay attention to the little things, it actually works, right? It's scaling it becomes the challenge, right?
1: I just want to also, not to dwell on Intel for me, but you, you took over the Westinghouse so prizes. Easy. Uh, and I go to the Intel uh, prizes each year of the best science by high school students Mm -hmm. unbelievable women there have done unbelievable things I you know meet them and you know I was there with Gordon Moore one time and 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 uh, uh, Andy Grove came to one of these dinners and they're blown away by the science that these women have done who've gone off and I said you know what are you going to do with them and he says well we're going to we're going to try to do them. patent <laughs> partnerships on the best hire some Absolutely. so anyway I just want to say congratulations Thank because I do I do think part of this thing of of celebrating success and, and, and bringing it's is part of the game Andy
6: Yeah, so I I love what everybody has said, and there's not one comment I wouldn't agree with. There's a fundamental thing, though, and I hate to be the one that's always a little... I love that about you. Okay, but we have to teach our young people, Mm. and especially our girls, that just because it's hard doesn't mean you won't like it. Getting up in the morning and working out is hard, okay, but... You know, you you get through it, you see the benefits, et cetera. So, somehow, I love that we're trying to inspire, attract, and develop, but we also have to expose a lot more, and some of it has to be through tough curricula, which makes it okay. 11% of PhDs, at least a couple of years ago, were to international students, but 50% of all of those were in technology fields. And if we do learn, there was a a question from the audience in the other session that said, is there something we can learn from other cultures, et cetera? Doesn't mean we have to adopt, but something we can learn. And what are the percentages in some other countries? We heard from my colleague Usha, I was never more proud than to have somebody in the National Grid organization that was the first geologist in South Africa. Somehow I don't think South Africa was sort of throwing games and toys and robotics and all the rest. That doesn't mean that's what, you know, we go hardcore the other way. But there are things that we can learn, and there is a... Attract, a pull, and expose, etc But there's also a let's look at our curriculum and can, what it's doing. Can I ask doing. you a quick
1: question? You want know, it, it, it may be beyond you know the the stage already because people have chosen, they volunteered, and I mentioned in a negative way the military, but I actually think the military can be very positive. Uh, that there are a lot of a lot of men and women that go in the military, they get trained for things they would never have thought they'd be trained. So much of it is in high technology, engineering, computer science. Um, I think we have some problems with people coming out of the military, make sure they have you know great opportunities. I know GE and Dell and others hire folks who were in there, but but you know it, it has occurred to me that if, if I were given limited resources and limited time and wanted to make a quick impact on society, I would go to the government, you, though you gotta get a bigger job. <laughs> um, and and say, you know what, I want I, I wanna have more women. That are, that are hired for these positions, trained for these, it's a command economy approach as opposed to, you know, uh, uh, and so I just wonder if that resonates for you at all. It
6: completely resonates, and I'll tell you, at National Grid, we do exactly what Dell does, and my former colleagues at Biogen do, we have labs. We bring kids in from sixth, seventh, eighth grade, et cetera, mm-hmm. but there is that element of showing where innovation and creativity could be. There's also the more militaristic side. We don't send people up on pylons to do distribution of electricity and say, try something out, right? It's a disciplined engineering process and people like sometimes that disciplined engineering process so we can learn something from, from that. Abigail,
1: program. I get a sense you're on a completely different side of the equation, right? Not entirely. Okay. Um,
3: when I talk about the problem with the pipeline
1: is... A little closer. Okay,
3: the, the problem with the pipeline is that it's been the same for a long time and we keep saying it's leaky, it's not working. We have a lot of smart engineers in this room I'm smart, I'm just not an engineer. Um, We can build something better that actually reflects more of the issues that we're talking about. There's no on and off ramps in a pipeline, Hmm. right? So what do we do when 40% of our students are in community colleges and they're taking a different route but we're not acknowledging them or the work they're doing because we have ideas of where you're supposed to be coming out of university. How are we responding to underserved communities? How are we responding to people who don't have that same access? If we have one pipeline, we're also discounting women who take time off for their careers for their family at different parts of their time. So how can we build something better that reflects, as my colleague at Harvard Medical School said, intersectional approach, right? And I don't wanna build 5,000 new pipelines that are all running parallel. We can create something that actually... i got a huge,
1: crazy river.
3: Sure. Yeah. But also the thing with the pipeline is that who's creating the boundaries that they come up against, right? Hmm. So we can get them at age five or age six. At AUW, we look at solutions. We're looking to work better with our 12-year-olds. Right. How do we work with them once they hit high school, college, keep going on? Right. Um, but if they're constantly facing, let's say, a hostile work environment... How are we changing that? Um, and I, I think all the companies here are working to mm. change that, but it, we can't think of those boundaries anymore. We have to think beyond that. We have to think wider to really reflect society.
19: Thanks. Aya? Um, so I, I have a couple of comments about what was said before. So um, Andy, I, I really like what you said about uh, cu- curriculum. Um, needing to be harder and figuring out how to do that. And f- the, the, there's a really interesting quote by um, a leading um, education um, uh, theorist, I mean, theorist and, and world leader, uh, Seymour Papert, who passed away um, uh, last year, who says, uh, every game designer has learned something that curriculum designers have not learned, which is, kids don't do things because they're easy, and kids don't quit doing them because they're hard, because games are hard. They stop doing school because it's not fun. Mm. And so we have figured out, society has figured out how to make learning fun. We know that learning through play is fun. We know learning through making is fun. And there is countless, countless, countless research that proves that it is very, very effective. I see this every day. We have kids in our uh, office every Friday. We do playtesting sessions, we do workshops with with schools, we do do online challenges where we invite them. We know what works, I see it every time. I see it, we get letters from girls that say that they wanted to be a fashion designer, now they wanna be a scientist. We get letters from parents that say that their young girls were self-selecting out of every engineering and technology class or after school program, and now they have all these ideas for robots and assistive technology Mm -hmm. and things that they wanna do. We see it, it's working, we know we have a formula. My challenge is I, I run a startup and I have something that I know can be world changing. We have investors, we have customers, everything is great, but I want to do, I want to 10x what we do, and we need partners to do that. We don't have 10,000 uh, people on the street, we don't have 100,000 people in a sales force, we don't have government connections. Mm-hmm. We need to be able to say, um, look, this is the formula. Let's, yeah. Spread the word, get it out, because everybody right. benefits.
1: I want to I want to jump, but I want to ask you one thing. Um, I, uh, a couple of years ago, I think it was a couple of years ago, we had an Atlantic uh, Magazine cover story by Hannah Rosen called The Wired Child, and it was sort of her journey with her children that she thought were just, Coded differently now, and it was a really powerful piece. I recommend for those of you into in the subject, and and it went very much along the lines. And I sometimes wonder, and I want to also come to Lena after I come to Joan, is you you are our token young person here. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm joking. We're all young, but but you are you you were at Hard you, you you came in as a student and you sort of changed the game. But but whether or not some of what's happening and some of what we're reflecting on that that. I don't want to say we're overstating the problem, but, but some kids are coming packaged with capabilities that 20 years ago none of us would have had or 10 years would have had, so there's something that's reaching them. It may be gaming. Uh,
19: it's, it's, I, 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 I'm lucky to be on the fringe of like being a millennial and not being a millennial, and I understand kind of both worlds, and I have a younger sister, and I we're very in touch with kids, their Kids, are, they're not wired differently. They're really not wired differently. Mm-hmm. They are just consuming different media. They're consuming different technologies, and, and that's what's being given to them. They love hands-on play. They love disconnecting from the screen if there is something fun for them to do. But you're going to tell them, play with wooden blocks. like That's not as engaging as playing Minecraft. And so you, we have to find things that are, that are you know, at the fringe of both. So the, I think it's less... Uh you know, looking at them like this, you know, uh, obscure creature that is wired differently. And it's more saying, what are the things that you love and how do we inject kind of more learning and more engagement and more STEM in it? And again, the solutions, there are many, many, many prototypes of these solutions working. It just needs bigger organizations and parties and companies to help amplify it because they're no offense but you guys are not going to be able to prototype these ones so take what exists and just make it bigger i just can't tell you what you've just
1: what you've what you've just done to me in terms of basically implying that millennials millennials are the older generation (laughs) (laughs) it's really played with my sense of gravity uh and then michelle and then joan yeah Yeah. i just
17: i would i'm sorry i'm dying to hear what you have to say
1: everyone is but what were you going to say
17: Um, I think we talk a lot about consumer technology with our children and how impactful that is on their lives. What really has driven me in the last year to get involved has Mm -hmm. been what I see with the data. And we are about to see a tsunami of uh, technology, computing, in every aspect of not just our consumer lives, but our business lives as well. Karen said it earlier. Every company is going to become a a technology company. Every company Mm -hmm. is moving towards digital. The jobs are moving towards digital, and yet we have a pipeline that looks worse in some respects than what it did 20 years ago. So I think when Andy talks Mm. about the curricula, the curriculum in our schools, I Mm. think she's really hitting the nail on the head. When I went to my son's open house the other night, he had this fantastic history teacher. I mean, the guy was inspiring the way Mm -hmm. he made them think about um, the world that has been. I think we need to have curricula in our schools that
9: talks about the future and where the future is, is heading. June? So now I have two points, because you spoke first. So I'm going to speak to that yeah. point first. Yeah. And it's this, this issue of data. Um, and as I as I listen to you and you talk about the corporations, you talk about uh, presence or lack of presence in leadership, I actually think that we need to start to look at the data around what do we do, what are our processes, what are the experiences, what are the ways in which we, in, we reinforce exactly what we have. And I don't think there's enough of that examination. So. Uh, As an example, I was a a Pathfinder Award winner from from NIH to come up with new methodologies to understand how we could advance diversity. And part of what we did was to pull together data from public and private across Harvard so that we could start to understand where are the blocks, what are the experiences of women, minorities in our organization so we could target Hmm. specific efforts, have interventions, but look at outcomes. And Hmm. oftentimes our outcome is a checkbox in terms of numbers, and that's not adequate. It's gotta be about inclusion. But I wanna turn to what I wanted to say uh, from the start. I have lots of problems with the term pipeline.
1: You You and Abigail can get an alliance, yeah.
9: But my my reason, so I, I said earlier I'm a pediatrician, and when I think about pipeline, I'm not mechanical. I think about my car, just parked someplace, I drove off, and there's something left on the ground. That is not people. Mm -hmm. We talk about a leaky pipeline as though someone is lost forever. And there's a path or one right road or one right place that they're supposed to go. And I think about all of our careers as a journey, and I would venture a guess that every single one of us started down one road and we switched and we switched when there was a bridge or a block and we went in another direction. What does it mean to a child when I say that there is a pipeline and you have leaked out? What what have you just said to the person? So so when I think about your daughter, I think of it in terms of maybe she's gonna do something amazing that can combine this love of math and what she's doing here and be innovative and creative and do something we haven't even thought of. It's not a loss. And she may come back to it later. It's not a loss forever. I think we have to change our frame of reference. Yeah,
10: I, also, I think Joan's hitting on a key, a right. key point because I, I agree with you. I, I actually think there's a massive rebranding that needs to happen around this notion of STEM. Mm-hmm. And, because it's old thinking, right? It's, it's when I say it's old, it's old thinking, old paradigms, you know, we, we heard a lot about Role models, storytelling, bring those stories to life, show people and and women and minorities that technology sits in in so many different different places, and um, so I, I I agree with you. But it's you know I feel like at times you're having these conversations well, with folks, and it's a, it's like a 1970 can, can, reference point. Can,
1: well, can I can I can I throw that out? I mean, you 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 folks that are engaged in this should should uh write these pieces you should write op-eds you should challenge you know sheryl sandberg talked about pipelines so sheryl sandberg's book was one of the most read uh books out there it creates a frame for people whether you like it or not Uh, and then and then and what i find interesting is in the battle of ideas of changing things you know challenging that frame and bringing something that sort of seems to work that seems more empowering i just you know i just want to add an editorial reference People like uh, like the or a place like the Atlantic thrive on that kind of debate, and it would be useful. I would say to the community of people in this room who are doing this there are a lot of fantastic people, but perhaps you need to kind of communicate it at, at another level and engage and wrestle with these things more openly because it's a lot of cliches and anachronisms in this debate. So, I agree with it, but I also think you got to see wh- how, why that scaffolding is there. It's because there were incumbents that laid out that scaffolding and no one's taken it down yet. So, so it's, it needs to go beyond this room. Uh, Eric? I, I
4: want ties a couple of the pieces that I've heard here that are really wonderful um, together. So, um, uh, one is the, on this notion of the consumer versus the school. I mean, one of the more reasons why we work in schools is, is, um, is because of equity. Mm-hmm. I mean, so we can, we can reach some people through, through home, um, those tend to be the more privileged right. kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so trying to figure out ways we work with schools is really important. Um, and I want to actually build on something that, that you said about the, the idea oh, yeah. of uh, yeah. uh, Papert's hard fun. Um, and in fact, uh, one of the things we try to do when we think about our design is not sort of designing things um, to make them, and I think Little Bits is an example of this. It's, it doesn't, it's not about making learning fun, it's about showing that learning is fun. Um, because these kinds of endeavors are, are, have a lot of interest in them. It's not sort of, we... We,
1: we all want to have, grow up in your household, I think, now, <laughs> yeah. again. But there's this uh, idea
4: of chocolate-covered broccoli. Um, that, yeah. I didn't invent that term, but the idea that you, you sort of try to make something fun in, in right. learning. And What we want to do is actually mm-hmm. show people that learning is fun. It's not about teaching the, teaching the girls yeah. that this is... Um, Lena?
8: Yeah. So I think to respond to some of the comments from a student perspective, um, I think some of the things that have stood out to me have been about... Tell people kind of what
1: you did, though. Sure. Yeah. Um,
8: So I was the president of the Harvard Biotech Association, which was a group made to inspire people to go into biotech. Um, I've known for a long time that I wanted to work in that industry and in the startup space in Kendall Square. Um, But I think a lot of people don't know what biotech is. And for the group, we have a lot of people come in to speak from the industry. And when I joined the group, um, when I was leading the group, it was me and eight uh, meals. And uh, when I left, the board was 50-50, and that was kind of my agenda within the group was to try to bring in women, and hopefully, if enough women could see the same speakers that I was seeing, more women would want to join biotech, because even at the level of a college student, I think we decide that people can self-select at that point, um, mm. and that if a, a woman doesn't want to apply to join the board, or if she doesn't want to go to the event, then she can decide for herself, and I think that... Um, I can't speak to the high school experience because I went to an all-girls school for seven years and Mm. was never taught to think anything other than that I could do something or that um, science was made for me and it was just time to try and fail. Um, But I think that we stop at the college level a lot of the mm. times. And I think that there are definitely inequalities at the high school level and the elementary right. school level that we can deal with, but I think that at the college level, when we decide that everyone can just be free acting adults, which is great, um, I think we stop encouraging things like that. And I think for me, yeah, oh, sorry. No, no, you,
1: you, you, I, I, I think it's wonderful what you're saying. I just want to ask a point of clarification. When you, you, you're now at MIT and you left Harvard, so Harvard's where you did this cool thing with the board. After you left, did, did the board stay diversified? Oh, it did? Um,
8: So I think it ended up taking... Sign of a true leader. (laughs) Good. (laughs) I think it ended up taking women on the board to encourage other women to join the organization as a whole. I I think seeing... um, I think for me, I never really thought about it. It was me and guys in the room and it had been that way for a long time and I never really thought about it. Um, But when it came to encouraging people to apply, I think that it was kind of a a cycle that just kept going, right? Guys Mm -hmm. would encourage their friends to apply. and. a lot of women just couldn't really break through, and I think it wasn't that they were scared to, I just think that by some process, I think we were reflecting the industry, right? Most of the speakers were guys. We did not bring in women women CEOs until I was in charge and thought, hey, for the last 15 speakers that we've had, they've all been guys, like, maybe we should think about it. And I don't think it should have taken a woman in the room, mm-hmm. and I'm not really sure what um, what mechanisms can be in place, maybe from the level of the university, they can work on looking at student groups like this, and especially, Kind of uh, career-oriented groups, and if you notice that it's only um, it's only one group, um, then I think that's worth mm. the uh, the university stepping in and and just you know asking whether or not you've thought about it.
1: Right. Thank you, Christine.
11: Pathways. A lot more
1: on you about pathways I don't know, you could get lost off the pathway and that sounds like a I don't know. I I just got, my mind always goes to the negative. So um, anyway, thank you. Yes. Are you guys doing that? I mean I, I I get I mean these things oh we need to do X. I just want to know what you're doing if you're fixing the problem and other people can do other things.
11: And be right. successful wherever the world right. might be. And I think it's, right. it's moving too quickly okay, for us great. to know where that so is. So
1: I'm going to ask folks to speak more in a couple of sentences than paragraphs. Um, we're at lightning round time, and I want to get the audience in. So lightning round time, Shabs.
15: I actually wanted to go back to the sub-stuff academia. do it briefly, yep, go ahead. Briefly. I have an eight-year-old nephew, 11-year-old niece. And I, when I compare my life with them, I actually worry that if I had the option of dropping out of these stem subjects mm. when I was I'm still stupid but when I was really really stupid and young um, my life would have been different so I think one of the points Adi was mm. making and I'm passionate about is the 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 possibility of having very strong curricula that it stays as an option and you're not allowed to you're not allowed to drop it I completely agree with make it fun all of those mm. other things obviously we all know there is no one silver bullet but having both of them go hand in hand is something which i I think would would be very beneficial. Andrea, thank you. Yeah, so
16: the discussion about call it pipelines, pathways, um, right. swimming pools, whatever people are in. You are right? Is there a
1: better word?
16: Uh, no, but okay. talent pool maybe. Yeah, ta- yeah. Um, But I think don't it's, drown it's, in the talent don't pool. Don't drown get out of the gene pool, yeah, but don't yeah. drown in the talent <laughs> pool. Um, I think. The key thing for all of this to be able to come into these marvelous programs that educate mm-hmm. at the elementary level, up through college, right. and then into industry, is really starting young. And one of the things that I think we can do, and there are people doing it, um, is to combine STEM literacy with our with our literacy programs. So people like reading is fundamental. First book. These groups are out there making a big difference, and they need. Funding, they need support, because they are taking to places
2: that are, are not seeing access right. already. Right. They are really making Thank a difference. Thank you. Samantha. Um, so I've identified a villain finally, which is oh. the tyranny of the GPA. And I was thinking about what you were saying about, I totally agree about hard fun and about making things more rigorous. One of my fears sometimes in Girl Scouts is that we can have elementary schools get very excited, and engaged and have fun doing STEM and then they get to middle school and they hit Algebra 2. And I think we really need to, uh, we were talking, Christine and I were talking earlier about... So, Suzanne,
1: just tell me real quick, how would you, how how would you change that? Uh,
2: Well, what I was going to say was to have a campaign to support the idea of failure, Ah. So, failure meaning if I fail a test, it's actually a diagnostic of what I need to do to get stronger, not an indication that I should not go into this field. Mm. Um, when I first started at Girl Scouts and I was very naive, I wanted to. I told my boss I wanted to do a badge called failure, the mm. failure badge, and she was like, "No, we're not doing that." <laughs> but I still think it's a good idea. So just the idea of changing people's minds around what it means to take on. Yeah. tough things and fight through
1: it. Isn't that kind of, I mean, I love this idea. I really love this. This is a big idea, but, but you know, it's interesting in business you have it there. I mean, if you want to look at entrepreneurship and, and, and business startups and, and, mm-hmm. in the United States versus other countries, if you're in the Middle East, if you fail at a company, you can go to jail. In the United States, we have a whole culture and system and that's legal right. system. Why is that not? I mean, I don't want to ask you that right now because we don't have time, but I'm really intrigued with this. I mean, it's, it, it's editorially interesting that we have a system in business and startups and whatnot that's built around it, but our, but our feeders into that, whether they're pipelines or rivers or talent pools, um, is inculcated with a different set of norms. I mean, that's weird, right? So it you can weird. fix the, this in the Girl Scouts. Can I yes. think so.
10: Suzanne, to make a uh-huh. comment. I, I think what the Girl Scouts have done around robotics and the badges is brilliant. Right. Brilliant. I well, mean, you. you have figured out how to reach a population of a couple of million girls.
18: Right. With a
1: badge?
10: With a badge. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a symbol of success. It's bringing the curriculum into it. I mean, we've been working with the Girl Scouts mm. around the, the whole digital online. I love it. You're teaching mm. these girls to be entrepreneurs you teach them. Um, can you comment on kind of how you came up with that and how it's working?
2: Well, I think badging has been in our DNA for uh, more than 100 years. And now, of course, there's a lot of research that shows that badging, non-Girl Scout badging, digital badging, is actually extremely motivating. Right. Um, I think to the point about hard fun and, and being willing to take on challenges, I remember watching the TED Talk that The man who uh, founded Khan Academy did where he said, you know, kids are doing calculus on Christmas Day because they can move up a level. So um, especially with STEM where you really do have to learn specific things in order to move on. It made a lot of sense.
1: Big idea. Cheryl.
7: Yeah, I wanted to add another element to the discussion, which I'm really loving. I had a tenuous relationship really with my fields in my early years, both as a chemical engineer and as a software engineer, and I was close to, to leaving. And it wasn't until I got to the point where I really stopped worrying about myself and started to worry about others and really have more of a purpose. And I have seen that translate now in my professional world where I you know, lead a team of technologists that are really focused on doing good in the world, and we're up at about 40% female, a number of underrepresented groups in the in the in the organization, and I think a lot of it is because we're so focused on purpose that we are um, attracting people that are willing to do the hard work to do something more meaningful than just maybe enriching themselves in their own lives. Um, we're really proud of. You know the partnerships that we're doing with uh, the San Francisco School District and with the Oakland School District. We've already had employees give 175,000 hours of their own time um, wow. with kids directly. That those moments and those partnerships are so meaningful to our employees that uh, I see it keeping us in. And definitely for me, it has kept me um, in in this field.
1: Alec, you get 30 seconds. Jeff, you get 30 seconds, and I'm going to the audience.
5: Alec. Um, I think one thing that Louder. I think one thing that's worth pushing back on, uh, just in the framing of STEM, going back to some of the things we were talking about earlier, is that you wouldn't talk about creating a healthy nation by talking about pipelines for professional soccer players and or professional football players or whatever, and that in expanding our notions of STEM, it has to go beyond controlling the path that somebody goes on right. and conceive of it more as a literacy or a fluency. Because I think otherwise, it's part of the, G, the tyranny of the GPA is that schools are asked to guide people along those <laughs> paths, What I liked when I
1: read about some of your work real quickly is that... you were saying that the path to technology is through people's other passions. So yeah. maybe they like to make fashion For and sure. so wearables or, or some other dimension that we right. make a mistake by siloing technology For away sure. from everything else that whether it's food or health or running or fashion, that there's means- a technology piece of that. I, I love that frame. and I yeah. didn't think you said it clearly enough. True. I want you to take some training on that. And, uh, <laughs> you know.
5: um, and I think it goes back to the the question of fun as well because uh, when Papert talks about hard fun he means something very nuanced i think that doesn't come across in the word fun and i would advocate for shifting that to something just that matters to people Trip. So.
1: jeff i'm not leaving you to last because your government i mean not 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 last but least but go ahead
18: i'm from the government yeah, yeah. i'm here to help yeah. <laughs> um, two things i wanted to talk about one i want to put in a plug for a bill that uh, we're looking at right now is to implement coding as part of the uh curriculum in all public schools, K-12. So if you are interested in that, uh, reach out to your legislature. That bill is pending right now. The second thing, and this was before I got in involved in the legislature, because curricula and ideas are created actually at the local level in your local schools. Right. And uh, when I was on the school committee before I got to the legislature, one of the products, uh, uh, projects that I was most proud of was creating a uh, Franklin Arts Academy. And for those of you who are not from Massachusetts, that's A-R-T-S, Arts Academy. Uh, and that was, uh, that was where we would combine uh, mathematics and arts and literature and uh, videography. And uh, this was an entirely redesigned curriculum for these students. This is done in a public school in Massachusetts. And any of you Uh, can bring this to your communities and and be innovators and encourage your local schools uh, to uh, change and and react to what's going on in society. So I I throw that out because that program has been thriving and kids uh, who were bored in school, who didn't enjoy waking up in the morning, are now rushing to get out the door, rushing to stay after school, doing their homework yeah, and, and doing very well and going on. And for... <clears throat>
1: Thank you so much. And, and and first of all, give give yourselves all a round of applause. You don't have to, it's really, you guys have been great. Um, I want to put one big idea out there of my own, and I want to go to all of you. There's micro- microphones at the table. I have a quick exchange. There's a lightning round. Uh, we won't have time for life stories today, but I do want to talk about life stories for a minute. A friend of mine is Ellen Stofan, who was the former chief scientist at NASA. I love Ellen Stofan. She's just an amazing, amazing ambassador, kind of this messian, you know, for, 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 for women in science. And you, you spend time with her, and it's just, you know, kind of... Uh, it fuses out and it kind of affects you. And and I sort of wanted to understand a little bit more. I interv- event, interviewed her about how Ellen Stofan became Ellen Stofan. Like, what was her story? How did she get there? How did Joan become Joan? You know, how did you become you? And, you know, what's interesting is understanding that picture Uh, and telling that picture in ways that, where were the inflection points that mattered? What was the high school counselor you had to get by? You know, who, why are you in a certain area? I think, and this is my friendly critique of this issue, there are not enough people that have told their stories and documented. Katie is not here. She came closest on the Wikipedia side of this, uh, of looking at this, but what's interesting is when I meet young people, they really wanna know, and it may not just be, be women leaders, it may be an Elon Musk or it may be someone else. How did that person, you know, live their life in such a way, what were the points, you know? Maybe they're overprivileged and had high, high-end high networks. How are you going to get beyond that? Who are some of the other stories where they overcame, you know, some of the kind of bigotry or, or barriers in society? That's another element of this which I think is important. So I don't know how you do it, but in terms of really putting things on the table that I think are missing, uh, on, on the storytelling side. The Atlantic is a place of storytellers. I think there's not enough stories told by the people who got there because I think there's a lot of, of market for that among the people who went to it. Joan, you had a two-finger.
9: Oh, so a, a comment about that, and it's the movie Hidden Figures.
1: Yeah, it's incredible.
9: And the stories that actually exist in our organizations that have never been told. I And, and it is very difficult yeah. when I walk in a place and say there's nobody there. There's no women. There's no whatever. Yeah. They're there. They're there.
1: Oh, I oh my God, and the woman who wrote the book, I interviewed her in Chicago at this What's Next Thing. She's amazing. And she was taking her grandmother's stories and kind of telling them out there. So it's also generational story. You know, it's not just those women, it's somebody who could come out and translate them. I love that and Jen, I love that, you know, I, I, I so, could
10: not agree more. Yeah. It's, it's crazy that it took 40 years to tell that story. And I actually think it also speaks to the role of that Hollywood needs to play around putting these stories front and center Because that Hidden Figures movie talked about the challenges they overcame and all of that. The
1: granddaughter of one of those women wrote the book. Then Hollywood. Look at all the people involved in that story who did not tell the story. Right? It took... It took a a blood relative of one of them to go out and kind of push it and creatively capture our imaginations. That is an indictment against everyone else that was part of that story and let it be buried, right? So I just want to put that out there because I love it, but I'm also angry at all the people at IBM. (laughs) Uh, Not to knock IBM, any IBM? no, it's it's okay. Um, But, but, (laughs) yes, where's my, hey, good, to you're an IBMer? No, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead, yes, go ahead. No, yeah, you are, I did. I, just, I sort of, uh, But you put your hand up there at this very special moment. Yeah, yeah. I just wanna,
4: so my name is Fanuel. Yeah. I, uh, I, I direct one of the PhD programs at uh, Harvard. In molecular You're kind and cellular. of not projecting, so Sorry. project, yeah. My name is Fanuel. There you I, go. I direct one of the PhD programs at Harvard in molecular and cellular biology. Uh, so that's my day job, uh, nighttime job. I co-found um, a group called STEM Advocacy, and we have an initiative right now called Stories in Science. And oh, great. And I would like to add on and say, not only should yeah. we uh, tell stories of people who have made it, but people who are on the way to making it. So people like Lean over there. Right, right. right? Starting over at MIT right now. And that's really our mission over Mm -hmm. at storiesinscience.org. Please visit us. Can you say that one more time slowly so the camera... Millions of people are watching online. Storiesinscience.org. Storiesinscience.org. And we love failure. And we're getting stories from around the world, not just the U.S. And it's amazing when you start reading them. Right. And you get to see the commonalities, the connections that we all share, the challenges... Uh, I mean, it's. And don't want to of, cut you off, but I don't have enough sorry, time. Thank you. Yes, yeah, great. Good.
1: Megan.
3: Hi. So, my name is Megan. I want to go back to something that Alex said in the panel before, which is we usually think of STEM as this box mm-hmm. that you need to break into. And
15: because of that, we tend to think of STEM as one thing. Right. When actually, it's four letters, four fields that are in everything.
1: Right.
3: So. How do we show women, how do we show people that STEM is actually in everything, anything can be STEM, and then how do we encourage communication between those four letters? Okay,
1: quick responses, grab a mic. Grab a mic quickly. Yeah.
5: Uh, something, at least on the school side, that I think we would really appreciate and could use is that I think too often we say, okay, we care about STEM, so we're going to convene a panel to put together materials, and that panel is going to talk to business leaders about what's in STEM. And it goes through this whole process instead of just going to the interesting work that is happening, instead of just going to Uber, instead of going to Twitter, uh, and saying, not help us teach STEM, but just bring us into your work. Show somebody who might not make the connection between software engineering and marketing and copy re- copy editing that all of those things okay. are in kind of a, a pool in a company like Twitter instead of breaking it apart and reintegrating it. It's Christine, right? Carla or Carla.
20: Hi, um, I'm the dean of the College of Computer and Information Science at Northeastern University, and the thing that troubles me so much about this pipeline or pathways or whatever you want to call it,
1: See, Abigail, is, what you opened up
20: is, it is that it's not too late. Mm. So I came into computer science after first doing English. We've created a master's at um, Northeastern for people who didn't study computer science. We have programs for our non-computer science students to do what's called a meaningful minor in computer science, where we customize the curriculum to their primary field of interest. So this idea that we only have like this narrowing, narrowing pipeline and we're getting desperate, we absolutely need to fix our K through 12 programs. And I wanted to push back on something that someone said, and I can't remember who it was this morning, um, about not making computer science required. I can give examples in high school and in colleges that when you make computer science required, 75% 75% of people who try computer science love it and go on to take another course and it is invariant of race and gender as long as you don't put a real loser on the class.
1: <laughs> that, that's fascinating. Thank you this. So uh, real quick, Ann. Hey, I, and I then, just wanna, yeah, okay, I please. Yeah. Deb, yep. um,
12: two things, real quick. Number one, we need to stop the labels because it separates people. So right. I'm in total agreement there, but I want to get to this issue about uh, career and how it kind of people navigate it. And I agree with you completely. And people come on and off in careers all the time. But more importantly, um, there are programs that have been initiated, like the Innovation Corps from the NSF, which basically, I actually wrote a white paper on this, which was the be- began to serve as the basis, where you bring mentors in on both sides to sort of shepherd people along from this on their own journey, help them identify what are the options, right? We talk about a day in the life. Right. People have no idea what people do, and just kind of Helping them understand what's a day in my life, what's a day in your life, etc. So I think these programs are helping to kind of shape that directionally wherever people are in their lives. And
13: Julie? I'm gonna pick up on another point that Abigail talked. You know, throughout your career, bringing bringing women in, we think about it only from the you know uh, growing population, but we have a very mature population who uh, want to have purpose too. And and so you think about the the role that educate that that universities can play. You know, with with the virtual technologies that are available today mm-hmm. to educate people, it, we that is a uh, to me that's a golden nugget that we have got to capitalize on because there's, you know, 50% of the population at all ages is you know is women, and, you know, so it's uh, I'm the my mother actually um, graduated at 50 and went on to work for 25 years, so she had a career after she raised six children on her own, so it's it's this you know, it, it's this notion. There's there's a huge population we're not tapping into either, and we've got to use the capabilities that exist to to. Uh to our advantage
1: here. I mean, I, I, I really, you know, in, in, you know somebody who get, has a privilege of, of dancing in a lot of these subjects and a lot of things that are related, you know, one of the things that really bothers me most is talent on the table. I really love what you just said of it. And really what you're saying is ongoing education because a lot of these stuff we're saying, okay, within sort of three or four years you get programmed in college and packaged and you're done and that's it. But that's just not the way it is. We also have a lot of people that, frankly, uh, uh, have had problems in their life whenever. I'll tell you another, you know, since we, you, you did stories uh, in, in technology or whatever, there's a, there, I, I'm a, stories in science, you know, I'm thinking about processing a lot right now. Uh, Jim McKelvey, you know, who created LaunchCode in, in uh, uh, Miami and in St. Louis, you know, he said there are seven places to learn coding in St. Louis's and five of them are horrible. And so people come out with credentials and degrees that end up not being useful. Um, and, then at, 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 and so he created a launch code to both retrain people, take people that had health issues but they were still damn good coders. They took people that had been incarcerated and were having a hard time and turned them, you know, so, and they're all at various different points, you know, in their, in their lives. Then they couldn't get jobs because, you know, some IBM uh, HR person said, we want to have the person out of this school or that, and uh, uh, or Cisco or Dell or whatever. And so Jim McKelvey then began using his celebrity as a innovator to call the CEOs of these companies and say, your HR departments are not taking the right kinds of risks in people. You're leaving talent on the table. And now he's, he's placed thousands of people that they've trained in real jobs. So I don't want to put that on the table. You can get everything right. You can go get trained. You can go get coded. And you can still get screwed by the system that we're in so I think it's important to be you know when we think about villains um, I won't say HR departments because they're getting better but some are and I think that's another element here about starting at any point in your life that it's not all just in one place so I want to go to Ann but Ann, give me I gotta I gotta be nice this table and I'll come right back yes Julie
8: yes so Julie Drapala with 100k and 10 100k stands for hundred thousand new and excellent stem teachers by 2021 uh, and so I think today, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about schools and curriculum, but I would love to hear more discussion about teachers. Teachers have the greatest impact on their students. Mm-hmm. How can they be supported before they're even in the classroom to really not just, you know, teach a box curriculum, but really build the skills and build the, the experimentation and that ability right. to fail with mm-hmm. their students? So I would just love so we're going to hear put that teachers that. here. We're yes. going to maybe
1: put that in a post up, Melanie.
21: I direct uh, at MIT uh, career services, pre-med advising, and study abroad. And I want to come back to something that Karen talked about, which is the nature of the work. Mm. Um, Because I have a lot of students who go out there, and they try engineering, or they try science, and they just feel like it's boring. So I think I want to put something on. We can do all the things we're doing here, but the billing can be the nature of the work. And is there an opportunity, and I'm sure some places are really evolving it, where that work can, can also meet the 21st century and look at different ways to do it. So it is engaging. It's great to create a great experience, but if it's not really representative of what they're going to be doing that first few years, you won't retain it.
1: So everybody thinks MIT is great, and you're saying MIT is not that great. We are great. Yeah. But, but
16: getting them out there yeah, to the right okay.
1: opportunities, is not
18: always
16: okay. uh,
1: Anne?
16: So getting to what you just said, I'm a scientist. and the essence of Being a scientist is not getting an A in chemistry, math, or physics. It's asking questions, being able to challenge authority. And everybody at the table of data who looks at the data and has a question should be able to speak up. This is what happens in good science. Mm -hmm. So if you want to do this as a teacher, you, you, you teach the students to challenge you on statements, et cetera, et cetera. And this is going to help. I don't care what people go into being able to think logically and design what are the next steps to figure out where to go is going to help them wherever they go. My daughter always uses me as an example with her friends of somebody who sucks at math and physics but is a really great scientist. I did very, very well. I'm a biologist. I'm a virologist by training. But just opening you up to following your passions but using logic and being able to challenge authority. Now, what kid doesn't want to do that? That's what a right. scientist does.
1: Let me go to Jen and then James. And then we're, stay lightning roundish. Okay. This is awesome. We're going to go as well we, as we can and then... We're not gonna be able to get all your ideas unless you all grabbed mics the last time, but we're getting close to the, near the end. But yes, um, real So quick. I'm Jen,
21: I'm STEM on stage. I'm a technologist from Silicon Valley. And the question is with um, Milda Dresselhaus, when she was a girl, she installed an operating system. And that was the biography of Marie Curie. Now we think of famous names. Right. With STEM on stage, and this, the point I'm bringing up, I have a film from a technologist standpoint that is an operating system. um, We've been having screenings at MIT. People said for the first time, they didn't, it's not just Marie Curie. Forget role modeling. Mm. Install an operating system. Is your film online? um, It will be out soon. It's only screened with live audience because we are an immersive film to time travel. If you want to see it at the physics department on October 11th at MIT, come visit. But recently, and we're starting a program when in 2018. When you eventually
1: get it online, let me know.
21: Oh, no. No, I'll send it to you. Okay, you have to see it with people. Because okay, you're okay. visiting Marie in her lab, and she wouldn't want to do it online. She didn't exist okay. in that time uh-huh. period. But here's the thing. Uh-huh. Anna Friebel, an MIT physicist, recently portrayed right. Lisa Meitner on stage right. at the Folger Shakespeare Stadium or, uh, Library two weeks ago. And the question here is, what culture are we creating so people can install it? To read about something is different than experiencing it. Mm-hmm. So from a process perspective, what we need to do right now is make curie a verb. Mm-hmm. I curie something. I mightnur something. And that's what we're trying to do, not just with STEM on stage, and I'm as a public media right. project. Right, But the bottom line is this. Our cultural gap mm-hmm. is we don't recognize who we are in each other. So when you meet a scientist or someone in STEM, it's their method and their approach that right. they can say, I do this style of STEM. Thank and then you. they can find each Thank other. Thank
1: you. James, and then right here, Usha. Uh,
22: James Shirley from Asymmetrics. Um, I've heard a really lot of wonderful thoughts today, and I just want to add another thought that's implicit in what's been said, but it's often overlooked, and I want to make it explicit. As we try to help in whatever way for these types of issues, we bring to the problem ourselves, which is all we really can do, but we have to think about what we're trying to help. Mm-hmm. We have to try to understand the vast range of types of problems that lead to what the main one we're talking about. I'm no longer a professor at MIT, but I used to be. And when I was there, I did pre-med advising. I -hmm. still do pre-med advising. And while I was there, I didn't advise the typical eight students who are all going to do pretty well. Mm -hmm. I asked for those students who were struggling. And each one of them is very different. And helping them means that you have to get to understand what their specific problems are, what their their stories are, in order to be able to help them move forward. Thank
1: you. I love that story. I just want to, you know, I'm not pushing Dell, because it's not my editorial job to do that, but that Mm -hmm. film, uh, that they ran in there about that young girl that had not spoken, it really impacted, it sounded like the person there, that person would have been somebody left behind, uh, had that experience not happened. but Usha, short form. Uh,
23: so, very short form. Yeah. Um, so, you know, i you know, if uh, people have heard me the last uh, um, session, I'm from South Africa, mm-hmm. before STEM was even uh, um, an acronym, and right. then we progressed it to STEAM, uh, I have three thoughts, you know, in terms of how do we profile young individuals mm-hmm. from the time they are, I would say from six to ten years right. of age, so that we could nurture them mm-hmm. moving forward, and then the second stage is how do we um, look at different nurturing streams so that we could um, uh, support them adequately, and then. The the third part is, as a community mm-hmm. here, how do we propel them in the uh, in industry and in the corporate world? And I'm talking about somebody that's in mm-hmm. a third world environment, you know, from um,
1: having nothing to having now three kids right. in, this, in this field. Well, thank you. Thank you. And right here. I disagree. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to have him. I think that this is here, but as a programmer in this, I'm always, you know, I think I welcome that, but it's partly why we brought um, uh, Eric's daughter, why we brought someone from Harvard, and yes, there are others, but I also want to tell you that, because as a programmer in this, and just want to do this, that w- uh, it's uh, it's 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 their response it's our responsibility to hear where they're at it's also our responsibility collectively to kind of deal with the macro issues because we want sometimes get lost in what we think oh if we meet micro person micro person micro person that somehow we can aggregate that from answers but I've been in enough of these where I love it it sort of you, you know you miss this person there's enough talent in this room to systemically change the system and yes it would be great to have them sure but that's not something that mortally wounds this group this group has a responsibility to take the people and frameworks and experiences here and change them so I love your idea but it's it's it we, there's a, there's a bigger responsibility among here that we shouldn't be putting uh, on someone in high school so anyway no I don't I don't at all really quick Mahala uh, 30 seconds hold it up I was seconds. a cell biologist yep. by
15: training before I went into business My question is kind of related to what the discussion was earlier around the idea of science is something that's creative. Science is something that's inquisitive thought. And so what my question is, how do we go about changing culture, not just in STEM, but our culture broadly in the States? So that's one of uh, basically critical thinking. This applies to our perception of thoughts in uh, facts and media, et cetera, to our science education. So is this through play? Is this something else? How are we going to approach that as culture?
1: thank you. I want to thank everybody. You know, I think that, that um, we're going to go around and I would love to just get any quick snapshots, 15 seconds or less, that some of you may have. We just have a limited runway here. But what, I've, what I really appreciate is we turned all, many of you into panelists to sort of say, what can we do? What are the practical things we can do? And I think, you know, again, um, we did pretty well. You know, over here, it, it's Stacy, right? Stacy has, you know, grabbed colors and ideas and lines and, you know, I'm sure that she's X through pipeline somewhere up there. Oh, it did she did? I didn't even know you did it. Pipeline now, you know, blocked the pipe, that is, we're on the same page. And I'm going to ask our friends at Dell to make sure that those of you who are in the room and I'm not even sure we know everyone who's in the room now. So if you would like a copy of this sent to you, can we send it to them? Okay, great. So we'll get a picture of this and send it to all of you so that you have it, Stacy uh, have that. But I, but I wanna say, I wanna thank everybody because part of this is not relitigating everything. And you know, when I, when I you know, responded to you, I sort of do think, yes, we need to do it, but there's an incredible amount of capacity in this room and, and responsibility, power in this room. There's a ton of power in this room. So I hope you will not look at this as an afternoon you've had before a buffet lunch, that ah, I just you know, did another education thing, STEM and women, but that it was consequential for you in some ways. So Joan.
9: So you've talked about these multiple points of entry, exit, and re-entry. But I want to go back to this point of what is meritocracy and what is excellence and what is good and what counts? What mm. does leadership look like? So if we don't reframe who we think is worthy of being mm-hmm. moved forward, then we're really not going to address a fundamental part of the problem.
1: Thank you so much. Cheryl, quick.
7: I think it's great to talk ideas. I think there are a lot of amazing ideas already working and it's going to take public and private partnership. It's gonna take amplification, all of us coming together. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've seen already, so with our five-year partnership with San Francisco School District, we've helped them, with infrastructure, with teacher training, with getting computer science in middle school and high school, and we've seen a 2,000% increase of, in girls taking computer science and a 66,000% increase of underrepresented minorities taking computer science. That's going from idea to action and seeing real results, and we just all need to keep barreling full steam ahead.
1: Thank you. Depp.
12: Quick. This is a call out to the women in this room. Okay, so... A little bit louder. Uh, call out to the women in this room. Girl-on-girl crime, let's get rid of it pull your female partners forward, okay? Seriously. It's not zero sum. Flip it upside down. It's really lots of opportunities. Find the cracks
17: and help each other. Thank
1: you for saying that because it's a taboo subject. There are a lot of women running companies (laughs) and you look at those companies and the culture in them on exactly the things. You know, right? Yeah. We need to be supportive of each other. Thank you very much. Andrea, uh, last word and I'm going to go to to Karen and then, uh, oh, wow. Okay, yes. Yeah, definitely not going to skip Andy over there. Yeah. So, <laughs> Good, yeah.
16: Um, start younger because everything we can do uh-huh. to bring every single kid right. into literacy and STEM uh,
6: at very early stages is going to help every Great, thank you, Andy. This. Stop lowering our standards. High expectations of our kids, high expectations of our girls. Uh, you know, Bill Gates had a commencement speech for a high school class that I suggest you all go listen to because it's great. Get up, make your bed. You're not all winners. you got to work for it. Tough work right. is rewarding. Get on with it. Expose yourselves and do it. So let's stop lowering our standards so everyone's a winner and all the rest of it. Our kids want discipline. Right. Our kids want structure and they want to be challenged just like you all, we all were. So let's not shortchange them okay. from that.
1: Abigail.
3: Just wanted to say, there's been so much emphasis also on... A little
1: closer.
3: There's been a lot of emphasis on STEM strictly as a career thing. And I think what we've also learned is we have to spark that passion, because if you are passionate about the subject, you're more likely to stay in it no matter what happens, which is why Girl Scouts have their fantastic badges. We have our Tech Trek camps. Your Girls are coming to this and saying, I want to stay in STEM no matter what the problem is. And that's what we have to do. And I think that that's why Little Bits is so great as well. It sparks that passion. It can't just be about making the money at the end.
1: Karen, uh, I'm gonna give you the final word and thank you for bringing us all together. And then Emily, you can take it. Take it. Tell us what we're doing next. Yeah, then, no, yeah. thank
10: Hey, I, I have to tell you, I have been blown away by the feedback, the passion, the energy. Steve, you said it best when you said, there are enough people in this room to systematically change this trajectory. And I think, you know, a step here, a step there, a step here. The cumulative impact of all of that if we all commit coming out of this room that we, all, we will continue to do something and have an impact in this area. And there's a lot of really consistent themes that, you know, I've been sitting here taking notes and actually putting little check marks around how many times people said role models, amplification, storytelling, curriculum that is fun, and I will never use the word pipeline again.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I want to say thank you to Karen and to Dell for making today possible. We really appreciate your support. Thank you, Steve. You did a masterful job, as always, of playing our Phil Donahue today and getting all of the perspectives out here in the room. Um, and... Um, Okay. Okay. Um, And we are going to share everyone's contact information in the next week or so. So we want you all to stay connected with each other and you don't have to leave. We're going to have lunch outside in uh, just a minute. It should be out there ready for us. So please stay, continue to have conversations and thank you again for joining us.